Let us hear God's word, Titus 3, verse 1. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Amen. Now, as we begin this letter to Titus, Paul begins with, you might say, church matters, talking about qualifications for elders as well as opposing false teachers. Then in chapter 2, he turns, you might say, to family matters, older and younger men and women along with slaves. Paul gives instructions for how they should live. And then he follows that with a theological justification for godly living. Well, Paul now addresses what we might say are civil matters, things in regard to society, how we as believers should live in society. And since um, the, at least in some ways, the principles of slavery and submitting to masters and so forth, since some of those points uh, find application in the workplace, we've touched on this idea a little bit already. But Paul now focuses our attention on it. And so we move from the, the household codes of chapter 2 now to some civil codes. And there are many of these codes that have been found in, in the ancient world. And Paul adds to it here in that way, but obviously gives us these authoritative ideas. Now, uh, with this in mind, let's, if you have here, uh, look at this uh, uh, outline and uh, you'll see that in all of them, we see a transition here to chapter 3. Uh, the last one combines it with the last words of uh, chapter 2. But uh, we come now to this last section. And, and uh, actually, to subdivide it, we see verses 1 and 2, these specific words in regard to living in society. And uh, then in verses 3 to 8, he's going to give us a theological justification for it. Uh, and so that's similar to chapter 2 in the sense that he gave us verses 1 to 10, how we should live in the family, and then verses 11 to 14, the theological justification. Now, <clears throat> the end of the chapter, whether you start in verse 9 or verse 12, uh, you'll see some similarities to chapter 1. For verses 9 to 11, we see correspond with chapter 1, verses 10 to 16 in regard to the false teachers. And then at the end, verses 12 and following, uh, we give some greetings. This, in some ways, will connect with the first verses in chapter 1, uh, some of his opening greetings and benediction and so on. All right, now, <clears throat> as you look at chapter 1 and, <coughs> excuse me, verse 5, it says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking. So again, we start with the church, then the home, and now here, believers in regard to society. So as we look at chapter 3 then, notice how Paul begins with this command. Remind them. Now this is a command to Titus. Paul is speaking to him, giving him this command, and he says, remind them. Now obviously this indicates that Paul had already taught these things to the people in Crete. But he is commanding Titus to remind the people there of these things. And since it was a reminder... We don't see a lot of elaboration, but of course, he hasn't elaborated on much of anything here in the letter, as short as it is. But nevertheless, uh, we might wish he would have said more here, 
but because he's reminding them, he does not. Now, um, just as a, a brief comment here in this way, um, it's good to have reminders. Hey, we have them on our phones, you know, we, in our house we say, remind me to do this, and then we immediately say, well, remind me to remind you, and you know, things like that. Um, but we need reminders because we tend to forget. And even if it's only been a month or two or even five or six and Paul was there, uh, he's saying to, to Titus, remind the people. And we certainly need these reminders as well. We have talked about some of these civil matters um, in our study of uh, 1 Samuel. And so it hasn't been that long ago uh, in some of these ways, uh, especially in 1 Samuel 8 as well as Psalm 2. Uh, but here we are again. We're going to be reminded of some of these teachings. Now, in regard to Crete, the Cretans were known for not submitting to their authorities, uh, as was Israel, because uh, for the same kinds of reasons. And when the Romans took over Crete in 67 BC, there was a lot of pushback, a lot of sedition, uh, a lot of evil deeds and such, because the Romans had occupied Crete. Um, and so Paul here is speaking uh, against that to some degree, uh, but he does also speak more generally. <clears throat> All right, now, he, uh, Titus is to remind them of five things, and so notice that I tried to read it in this way uh, a moment ago. Verse one, remind them to be subject or submissive to rulers and authorities. Secondly, to obey. Thirdly, to be ready or prepared for every good work. And then into verse 2, to speak evil of no one, and then lastly, to be peaceable. Now, the word gentle goes with that, and showing all humility modifies it, so that last one really uh, seems to go together. Um, we'll say more about that next time. <clears throat> all right, now, in regard to the first two, to be submissive and to be obedient, um, it is a little bit unclear as to how we should understand this. Okay. And um, I was reminded as I came to this passage of a conversation I had with someone uh, a number of years ago about this, and they tried to make the case that submission and obedience are equivalent. And they tried to use this passage to justify that. And um, I tried to make the case and say, wait, Paul has a distinction in mind here. And certainly during the shutdown. Even today, with the calls to uh, still get the shot and so on and so forth, you, you regularly hear people say, well, we must obey our governing authorities. So how should we understand this? Well, literally, the Greek is worded in this way and in this order. Okay? Literally, it says, to rulers, to authorities, to be submissive, and then to obey. So in that order. It's the way it's given, to rulers, to authorities, to be submissive, to obey. Now, should we, um, can you say, alter the word order and say that Paul is saying that we should be submissive to rulers and we should obey our authorities? If you do that, you're switching the word order in Greek. And it's a possibility to do it that way, but it is a bit unusual. And if you do it that way, Notice how we're making submission and obedience be basically the same thing. Okay? But notice how the New King James has it. 
it says, to be subject to rulers and authorities, comma, to obey. And based on the word order, based on the fact that rulers and authorities precede the verb to be subject or submiss- be submissive, uh, would lead us in the direction of understanding it the way that we see here. Now, I'm splitting this hair because I think it's very important for us. And if we don't do this, I think we end up in the wrong conclusions. And so once again, then, even here, the New Testament says that we are to submit to rulers and authorities, but it does not say to obey our rulers and authorities. We are commanded to be subject to those who are over us. But Paul's not saying we should obey them. There's a difference. Now, let me say a few things about these words here. This word for obey is only used four times in the New Testament, so it's it's rather unique. Uh, The normal word for obey is never used in the context of our governing authorities. It's never used in the civil realm. It is used for wives. Hey, think of 1 Peter 3, where Peter says that Sarah obeyed Abraham. Okay? It's used for children. Obviously, children obey your parents. It's used for slaves. You remember when we talked about this here in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, uh, where here in Titus he says submit, but in Ephesians and Colossians, He says to obey, but he also immediately balances that with words to the master. So you might remember we talked about that a few weeks ago. The word uh, uh, for submit then is used in the context of wives, right? Wives submit to your husbands. Uh, Slaves submit to your masters, right here, chapter 2. Citizens submitting to the governing authorities and uh, even submission to to God, submission to one another, submission to others in general. And so the word is used in that context. All right, now let's look at our hymnals here a moment. Let's turn to the confession, uh, page 862. <clears throat> now you may recall, uh, I've mentioned this in the past and in your own studies and so forth, that In the Westminster Confession of Faith, some changes were made when it came across the pond, so to speak, from Westminster to America. And some of the changes that were made were here in this chapter, because the Americans said, well, wait a second here, Uh, we don't think the Westminster divines were accurate in some ways in regard to the civil magistrate. Uh, But notice... Uh, what it says here, I want to point out two things. We'll look at uh, paragraph four now. We'll look at paragraph three here in a few moments. But if you look at paragraph four, page 862, chapter 23, regarding the civil magistrate, note it says, it is the duty of people to pray for magistrates, to honor their persons, to pay them tribute or other dues. Now note the next two lines. To obey their lawful commands and to be subject to, to their authority for conscience's sake. It's very deliberately worded here. Okay? Now, the, the language that is used here comes from Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2 primarily. Okay? And notice, first of all, they see a distinction between obedience and submission. They are not equivalent. Now, they can be synonymous. Yes, absolutely. But not inherently so. They can only be synonymous 
when the commands our civil magistrates are giving us are lawful. See that adjective there? It's very important. We obey lawful commands. Now, what if they are unlawful? Well, I'll say more about that in a moment. But you you see that that is a very important word in their uh, understanding for us here. And so, to be um, submissive is a separate requirement here and only becomes the same, you might say, when those commands are lawful. And so when the the commands are unlawful, when the civil magistrate is telling us to do something that God did not give them the right to do, we still must be submissive in our disobedience. Now, how do you do that? Well, I think it's pretty easy. You say, I'm not going to obey, but you do it respectfully. We don't become like the rioters and start... uh, uh, breaking down windows and setting fires and Molotov cocktails and cop cars and so on and so forth. We're not doing that. Hey, we're not bombing abortion clinics or shooting up the abortion doctors or whatever. Hey, we're not like the insurrectionists. We are respectful as we disobey. We are submissive in the context of disobedience. And we see an example of this um, in particular in Acts chapter 5. Let's turn there a moment. <clears throat> All right, you recall here in uh, this portion of Acts, you see the apostles are, are starting to uh, butt heads, as it were, with the religious leaders. And they tell uh, Peter and John and the rest to quit talking about Jesus. And notice, especially in verse 29. It says, it's Acts 5, 29. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Now that word for obey is the same word that we have in Titus. Remember I said it's only used four times. Hey, once in Titus, once here. And the third one is in verse 32. And the fourth occurrence is just in a a general uh, sense, not in this context. And so notice here, Peter doesn't say, forget you, and starts, you know, uh, throwing stones at the religious leaders or, you know, whatever. We ought to obey God rather than men. Note their submission. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Okay. Now, the leaders were furious, right? Verse 33. But they submitted to all this in the sense that they, they didn't uh, uh, create some kind of riot, and yet they disobeyed. And so daily in the temple, verse 42, and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Okay. Now, For those who hold to a different view on these things, what you often hear them say is that we should obey our governing authorities at all times unless there's some extreme command, something that is unlawful but in an extreme sense, like killing babies, like the midwives in Egypt, 
or you can't preach the gospel. But for every other reason, or nearly every other reason, we've got to obey them. Well, again, if that's the case, then why do we not see the word obey used for our governing authorities anywhere in the New Testament? I think we have to see a distinction. What the Bible is presenting to us is that we are not to blindly obey. We are not to obey except for very unique situations. We are to submit in every situation. And we should be ready to conform to those authorities that are over us. We can talk about parents and bosses and teachers, even husbands, but the focus here is on our governing authorities. We should be of a submissive attitude. But that doesn't necessarily mean we obey them because they have responsibilities too. If that weren't the case, then we wouldn't have the passages that require these governing authorities to do something and to not do something. We see this in the context of husbands, right? They must love their wives as Christ loved the church. Husbands can't just do anything. We see this in the context of masters or bosses, right? They can't just do anything. They must be fair and just and not threaten. Teachers must teach the truth. They can't just teach whatever they want and children and uh, students just listen to whatever is said. Parents must not exasperate their children, And lead them in ways of ungodliness. So there are all these commands for those who are in authority to limit them. They can't just do whatever. So we often hear in this context, well, Jesus said, right? Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And what often that means is whatever Caesar says are his, we must do what he says. But... That makes absolutely no sense because Caesar has only been given certain responsibilities by God. Those in authority cannot do whatever they want. And so let's turn then to Romans chapter 13. For this is uh, maybe the most significant passage here in this context. And how many times did we hear this passage used in the context of the shutdown here, especially a couple years ago? In Romans 13, listen carefully. We, just as a brief aside, we interviewed someone at Presbytery, um, whatever it was, a few months ago. Okay? And the question was asked about our governing authorities, and his response was, well, we must obey our governing authorities. So I followed up, and I said, well, does the Bible really say we should obey our governing authorities? Is that what Paul actually says in Romans 13? Well, Listen. Verse 1, let every soul be subject or submissive to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Note, the word obey is not there. It's the word submit. Okay, continues, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. If you want to be unafraid of the authority, do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. Now remember, as I've said before, that word minister is the word servant or deacon. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. 
Therefore, you must be not obedient, right? But subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience's sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. All right, now as we read through these verses, Paul never says to obey them, but he says to submit to them several times. And we must submit to them because God put these governing authorities in place. You know, sometimes you hear people say, oh, libertarians don't want any government. Well, that's not true. We just want a limited government. Okay? God is giving the responsibility to the civil magistrate to do one primary job. And you see that in verse 4. To execute wrath on him who practices evil. Now we also see in verse, uh, verses 3 into verse 4 that he is to praise those who do good. That's it. That is what is lawful for the magistrate to do. If the magistrate is going to punish the evildoer, that is lawful. Pay your taxes. We want them to do that. Absolutely. But if they start taking on things that go beyond this, they cease being servants of God and become servants of the dragon. And therefore, they are doing unlawful things. We don't have a responsibility to obey them. We need to submit to them, yes, but not necessarily obey because their laws now become unlawful. Let's turn then to 1 Peter chapter 2. <clears throat> Peter says the same thing. And almost word for word, though uh, Paul adds other words, and because of this similarity, it sure sounds like this was a common teaching by the apostles. And so in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, note again, do you see the word obey? Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, or to governors, or to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. Same thing that Paul says. We are to submit. Their job is to punish the evildoer and to praise those who do good. That's it. And he says then, for this is the will of God. Right? As Paul says there in Romans 13, right? They are God's ministers. They've been appointed by God. Well, same idea. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Again, we don't see any words for obey there. And that's, again, because the Bible is making this distinction. Okay? And so we must follow suit. All right, now, <clears throat> the obvious implications then for this are, um, I think, uh, quite extensive. When we look at the governing authorities in our own country, God never gave them the authority to uh, do anything in regard to education or health care or electric vehicles or regulating every area of life. They've, been not given, they've not been given this responsibility. They've been given the responsibility to punish the evildoer. So if there is a doctor who has done something, malpractice as we would say, if the insurance company is getting in the way of actual care for uh, you know, the person and so forth, 
Well, yeah, the government has every right to punish them for doing what is wrong. They are not upholding the sixth commandment and the principles of life. Okay. And so, that, again, there's a place for the government in this, absolutely. But they are not to be running health care. They are to punish the evildoer and praise those who do good. And so the government also then has not been given the responsibility to define what good and evil is. They're just punishing what is evil. They even get, haven't been given the responsibility to define what that is. That's the church's job. To some extent, that's society's job. But primarily, that's the church's job. We are to be telling people what is good and evil. Not the courts, not the president, not the speaker of the house, okay? but we are. And so gender-affirming care is evil, period. No matter what they say, abortion is evil. Woke DAs releasing criminals, that is evil. Using deep state operatives, the media, and political power to hinder other governing authority, that is evil. Period. Okay. And they are serving the dragon in the process rather than serving God. They should be the Clintons, the Bidens, the Obamas, the Brennans, the Comeys, all these people. They should be in jail. They should have been in jail a long time ago. Not because I'm a Republican, but because they've broken the law. They have done evil. It's that simple. Same thing can be said for thieves and rapists and liars and so on and so forth. Okay. <clears throat> Let's turn in our uh, hymnals again now to um, the confession. Again, page 862. Let me bring in this point uh, briefly. In paragraph 3, notice these words. Um, I'm not going to read the whole paragraph, but the first part of it. The civil magistrates may not assume to themselves the administration of the word and sacraments, or the power of the keys of the kingdom of heaven, or, in the least, interfere in the matters of faith. Yet, as nursing fathers, it is the duty of civil magistrates to protect the church of our common Lord without giving the preference to any denomination of Christians above the rest in such a manner that all ecclesiastical persons, whatever, shall enjoy the full, free, and unquestioned liberty of discharging every part of their sacred functions without violence or danger. I could keep reading here. This is one of the places that was changed from the original confession here in the American Confession. Um, <clears throat> But you see the point. The magistrate has no responsibility over the church other than to protect the church and to allow us to do what God wants us to do. That's it. So, a couple years ago, our governing authority said, if you're going to meet, you have to wear a mask. If you're going to meet, you can't sing. Or whatever. And in some places, they said you can't meet at all. Hey, we had Isaac Lawrence's family stay in our guest house here over the weekend, and uh, they were living in Maine at the time, and there are all kinds of regulations, and they moved to Florida because of it. There were other reasons, but that was a big part of it, okay, because the civil magistrate had decided that good was evil and evil was good, 
All right. Through all that time, you recall, I made reference to John MacArthur and James Coates, the pastor in Canada, because they were saying the very things that I'm saying here tonight. And they were applying it in a very intense, especially in Canada, situation, and then, of course, in California. All right, now, I've obviously gone down some rabbit trails here, but they're all related. So let's come back to Paul's main point here in Titus 3. Remind them, Paul says to Titus, remind the believers to be subject, submissive to rulers and authorities. Okay? This is what they ought to be doing. Again, you're living among a bunch of Cretans that didn't want to submit to Rome. Okay? Paul could have been saying that in Judea because the, the Israelites who hated the Romans too, but all right, we live in a very similar society. We've been taken over by a bunch of progressive, evil people. It's easy for us to say, forget them, but we still must be submissive. Show respect to our governing authorities. Even when they're doing evil, we just don't necessarily obey them. All right, now, the second thing he gives us here, Remind them to be submissive, and now secondly, remind them to obey. And as I said a little bit ago, I think we must separate these two. The Greek presents itself in that way. We should not equivocate here submission and obedience. Um, But that said, and, and again, as I'm trying to make a distinction, I don't want to overstate the point. Paul now is saying, look, we need to be obedient kind of people. It should characterize us. We shouldn't be known for being a bunch of rebels. We shouldn't be known for those who just like to say no or whatever. We should be obedient kind of people. And so we should clearly obey the magistrate when their laws are just and right. Absolutely. We should be obedient people when it comes to work. We should do what our bosses say. When we go to school, we should do what the teacher says so on and so forth. Obviously, we should be obedient in our homes for the children and, and so on. But this should characterize us. We shouldn't, again, be known for rebelliousness, but for being obedient. And I think we can even apply this in the context of societal norms. I talked even this morning about law and righteousness and so forth, and there are a number of unwritten rules that we have and in uh, our lives, and and as we think specifically about society, uh, some of them are written down, some of them aren't. Some of them are punishable by a fine or even jail, but some of them aren't. So, all right, obey the stop signs, okay? Construction zone signs, slower traffic should go to the right, okay? Return your cart when you go to the store, Put your trays and seats up when you take off in the airplane. Okay. Uh, be quiet when you go to the library. <laughs> Park between the lines in the parking lot. <laughs> Dispose of your trash and put your trays back when you go to McDonald's. <laughs> Hold the door for the disabled, for the elderly, for women. I mean, again, there are all kinds of laws that we have. Some are written, some are not. Be obedient kind of people is what Paul is saying here. Now, as uh, some of you know, I tend to 
obey the police's speed limit, not necessarily what's posted. But uh, um, it, it, you see the point, though. Paul is calling us to be obedient kind of people. And so whether these rules are written or not, whether they can be punished by the police or not, this is what should characterize us. And in many ways, a lot of these laws are simply to be respectful of others, right? If you go to McDonald's and you leave a mess on the table, how is it going to help the next person? Okay? If you don't park between the lines, then how are you going to get the, it right beside them at Walmart parking lot, right? You can't get out the door. They're, they're parked on the line. You know, a lot of these things are just respectful. And so let's be obedient in these ways. And certainly we can talk about parents and bosses and teachers and so on. And, and some of that applies to society, yes. Um, but again, that's our focus. Not so much in the home or in the church, but in society. All right. Now, the third thing that he mentions here in this verse is that Titus is to remind them to be ready for every good work. You could translate that word ready as prepared. Be prepared for this. Don't be caught off guard and lose opportunity to do good things to our uh, fellow citizens. Promote good things. We could talk about promoting good things in our communities or our neighborhoods. We could seek to uphold social justice in the biblical sense, not the neo-Marxist sense. Okay. Help your neighbors. Okay, maybe your neighbor is, is elderly or uh, they've had a hard time. You know, maybe there's been some kind of accident or injury and they can't mow the lawn or you know, whatever it is. You know, help them. Be ready to do something good for those around you. <clears throat> maybe if you live in a, uh, a subdivision or something, you, know, you can be part of a community watchdog or you know, whatever. You, you can help out at the soup kitchen or at the homeless shelter. We're to help strangers and widows and orphans. The, the examples really are endless here. Okay, be ready to do good to our fellow man. Love them. Love your neighbor in these different ways. Help out in societal ways. Be dutiful citizens. These kind of ideas. Um, we could say simply just show goodwill. Now, all of these verbs here in this verse and even into the next uh, show a continuous action. Paul is expecting us to live this way, not just to do it on occasion. Okay. Uh, also, some of the commentators made a few qualifications here, and they said, look, we're, Paul's not merely calling us to do good to our fellow man just to preserve the church. Now, that's part of why we do it. Okay. We love our fellow man, so they want to attack us. <laughs> okay, but... But love our fellow man just because we're called to love our neighbor, even if they do attack us. Have you been paying attention to what's going on in India? There's a lot of attacking against churches right now. And seek the welfare of your neighbor. Serve, help, do good. Our goal is, yes, to witness. Remember what he said in chapter 2. As we live as families, this can be a great witness to others. And as he goes on to say some of those things in verses 3 to 8, I think we can uh, presume his point here too. We can also expand on this and talk about transforming culture for Christ. Okay. <clears throat> um, what does it mean to live as Christians in the world? Well, Paul is saying here, right? let's love our fellow man. Let's not hide in a hole. 
Let's not just do our Christian thing and ignore the world. Don't avoid the culture. Furthermore, uh, Paul is not talking about two kingdoms. I just said a little bit ago, if we, ha- if we need to know what is right and wrong, if the governing authority is to uh, punish evil, and he's not to define what is evil, how can there be two kingdoms? How can there be a sacred kingdom and a secular kingdom? Hey, they, there must be overlap. And so don't fall prey to this. And they're teaching this at Westminster Seminary in California, for example. But no, God's word impacts everything. All right, now, let me tie some of this together here in this way. As I said a little bit ago, the magistrate is not to do good, but to praise those who do good. We're the ones who are to do good. It is our responsibility to do this. It is not the government's job to to establish a welfare system. It is not the job of the government to establish health care. That is our job as citizens, as Christians. We are to be doing these things. There are some good things about the green agenda. But it's not the government's job to insist that it happens. Same thing with education. And on and on. Public education. I don't have a problem with that. Government education. I have a problem with that. Again, it's not the government's job. It's our job. And part of the reason why the government is doing so many of these things is is because we, as a church, have not been reminded, we have forgotten that it is our responsibility to do these things as Christians. And so when the magistrate tries to do good, the magistrate does evil and serves the dragon rather than God, then it's a mess. And it is our responsibility... As we saw in 1 Samuel 8 and Psalm 2, it's our responsibility to call them back to what is true and right, to challenge them, to hold them accountable. We are to be the prophet. And if we don't do that, then we become the false prophet in Revelation chapter 13. We are the beast of the land. Our fellow man is harmed, and the church especially. And so uh, I've spent some time here developing this point tonight but just to remind you remember we spent four weeks in first samuel 8 four weeks in psalm 2 because these things are so significant and we are living in a society where the governing authorities are throwing off the bonds and how are we going to live in response to that well paul says part of it is still be submissive okay hold them accountable you do what is good the obedient kind of people, and so forth. Obviously, we could say so many more things here, but here are a few thoughts this evening. We'll look at verse 2, Lord willing, next time. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Our Father and God, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for uh, what you have taught us here. And uh, we pray, Lord, that as we have been reminded of these things, that you then would enable us to live according to your word. Help us then to be submissive, to be obedient, to be ready to do good. Help us to live as citizens in, here in America, in Pennsylvania, and our local communities. Help us to love our neighbors. Let us do good. Strengthen us, Lord, for these things. May we not 
just be focused on ourselves and our families and so on, but um, those around us too. Uh, Lord, um, just uh, we, we ask for your strength. We ask for your wisdom. We ask for your guidance, especially as we are living more and more in a society that hates what is good and loves what is evil. Help us not to be ashamed. Help us not to become like that false prophet, but like Samuel, like David. Help us to proclaim the truth and to hold our governing authorities accountable as we are able. Um, We pray, Lord, for uh, your grace in these things. And um, we thank you most of all, Lord, that you are our king, that you are our magistrate, and there is nothing here on earth that rivals you or challenges you, uh, but you are in control of it all, and this gives us comfort and strength, and uh, may it then give us uh, boldness and the ability uh, to live as you have called us to live. We pray all these things then through Jesus Christ. Amen.